What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Luke Entrup, and we talk about teaching your son to be a powerful man, emotionally and dot, 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 whatever that means to you. Key components of building out a rite of passage for your child and not outsourcing your parenting. Enjoy meeting my friend, Luke. Friends, what's happening? I'm stoked to be talking fatherhood with my new friend, Luke. Luke, what's happening? How are you today? I'm excellent. Thanks for having me on the show. Love what you're up to. Love the show. So yeah, thrilled to be here, man. Love it, dude. Yeah. Anytime to talk fatherhood with another dude who is passionate about it, cares about it, and is authentic and vulnerable about it gets me stoked because that's where my hope is that all of us dads will be because I always say this, but at the end of the day, like my kids could marry your kids one day. So I could be the best dad and striving to be the best dad in the world. But if I'm not there walking with standing with other dads, there's not a big hope and future for my own kids. So we got to stick together and help each other as we're all in this together. Yeah, here, here. So much of what I do is for them. And not to mention, I mean, I think about the things that have made me grow the most as a human and this ranks right at the top of the list. Being in relationship and raising kids, it's quite an opportunity to become a better version of myself. Yeah, always becoming. So let's kick it off with this. How old do you find yourself today? Oh, exactly where I am. I'm 45. Yeah, 45 years old. Exactly where I am. What do you mean by that? Oh, this idea that maybe I should feel younger or older and that somehow there's value based on uh, feeling younger or older than I actually am. But I am, I squarely feel 45 and quite happy about it. Mm, I love that answer. How many kiddos do you have? I have two. I have a son, Julian, who's 12 and Amara, my daughter, she's almost 10. Oh, love it. Love it. So one of each. Okay. So 10 and 12. Now, where do you reside as a family? And with that, what is it that you do for a living to provide value in the world? Love that question. So yeah, we live in Sonoma County. So I live 20 minutes from their mom. So we are peacefully divorced and we live in two homes. So I'm a full-time parent half the time, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah, is, no. you know, it's quite an intense journey at times and I wouldn't have it any other way. Any advice you would give? So you said peaceful, you live close to mom, but also it's like I'm full-time, half-time. Before we just kind of keep cruising here with that nugget there, so many of us in our day and age are kind of going through that, entering into that, finding ourselves into that. What are a couple of things you would share with the dudes who are listening that would be helpful for them if they are entering into that season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such an important question, right? Because there's so many opportunities to really kind of get our kids all twisted through a big breakup and a divorce. And not to mention, it's just going through that myself was the most painful couple years of my life. But, you know, a couple of things I think are super important about it. One is I was very clear I had done everything I could do to try to save the marriage. And so was she. And we realized like we just could no longer meet each other's needs. And it was very clear. But we spent a solid two years and really the last year very intensely just making sure trying everything. We called in all the help we could get, went to every therapist and coach and retreat and workshop and just really tried to make it work. And then it became clear, yeah, this isn't working. So that's super important to make sure like there's nothing left to do. Right. So you're never looking back. You're never looking back. Well, what if I could have or whatever? And then your kids also see that, hey, we're doing everything we can for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not I wouldn't say it's that I never look back. Of course, like I always wonder what could have been. But I've really I feel like I could always put my head on the pillow at night and say, like, I really tried. And so did she. And we had just grown so far apart that it was very clear that our family needed to shift. And then from there, just the other principle that I think is really important 
both of us have put our kids at the center of our relationship. So everything we have done around cleaning up all of our past resentments and hurt and pain and that toxicity that was in that relationship, we really, we took a little bit of time apart and then we really worked on cleaning that up so that we could be good co-parents. We were no longer spouses. We were no longer each other's partners, but we will always be co-parents. So we had some very difficult, very complicated conversations so that we could really reach that deeper level of harmony. And that was all for them. It was all for the kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just important, putting the kids at the center, even if it means doing painful and uncomfortable things. And that's just been a guiding principle for both of us. Yeah. So really taking what would tend, or I'm sure the default would want to be very selfish to take that out as much as possible for the sake of the kids to not bash on the other or to make it difficult for the kids to try to whose side do I have to be on. And yeah, I mean, if you're going to make that decision to really step to the side and create space for them to feel peace. It's beautiful. Yeah. And there's a very specific thing that we've done now for six years, which is once a month, we schedule an hour. Sometimes it takes a little longer and we just clear out issues mm. that we've had. It's a monthly clearing where we and sometimes it takes literally takes like five minutes and then we talk about the kids the rest of the time. But we make sure that we get together and we speak the truth that needs to be spoken. We have a structure that we use that we follow a very clear kind of communication structure around how we do that. But that's made all the difference in the world because the residue doesn't build up between us, right? And just keeping that clear about the ways that we're co-parenting, that we're on the same page. And inevitably, we're going to rub the other person the wrong way, right? There's a reason why we're no longer married. But just to keep clearing that out as often as we can. Yeah, so a question and a thought. Is there somebody that helps if like, hey, there's just zero way we can unpack this together? Is there someone that you have said, hey, we would bring this person in to help with this conversation? Or is that not something that's been necessary? Yeah, we had to do that a couple of times very early on. And we brought in a family therapist, basically, that helped facilitate that conversation. It was very brief. It was one or two sessions. It actually was my son's therapist. It was somebody that already knew because some of the issues were around how we were parenting him, right? And uh, we had the different points of view about it. And we brought in him and he just facilitated a bit of a like listening session between us. And that really helped. And we haven't needed much of that in the years that have followed. Early on, I think it's wise to get some help, especially around the structure of how you have those conversations. Yeah. And I think just even how you said it, a listening session, I think is so critical because when a third person's in the room, it's probably going to make me be less of a prick or less of a child. I'm going to show up not in a tantrum. And then the thought I had around that is I didn't really think about it till you said it. But even dudes who are married, if you're listening to this, how much peace would that create in your home? If once a month you sat down with your wife and you're like, hey, anything we need to just kind of unload from the last month. So it's not in a fight because usually it's like all that crap comes up in the fight. We're like, oh, well, last week you did this. And my wife and I, we have a, we call it our kingdom meeting every two weeks, roughly, because mm-hmm. crap comes up with the kids. But one of the questions in our thing is like, is there anything you need from me? Is there anything I need from you? Is there anything that I've been doing that's been bothering you or whatever? So it's kind of like same thing, right? But in all of our relationships, it would be great to create that space to like, let go of anything that you might maybe be holding on to. Yeah. I mean, this is the big thing that I took from my marriage ending that I am so committed to in all my relationship moving forward is with my partner now is I am so committed to clearing up resentment and misunderstanding and conflict as close to when it happens as possible. Because I do think that that was part of what led to my marriage crumbling. And you're spot on, like the marriages that do this, the relationships that do this, they have such a better chance of thriving and being these energizing places for us rather than a place of resentment and draining our energy. So absolutely endorse that. Yeah. And just a great question, just in general, when you say that, for us to pause relationship, work, whatever, Hey guys, what's draining your energy right now? If you can start to look at, hey, what's draining your energy, whether it is a relationship or something that's going on and pinpoint that and then go take some action around that or at least voice it and bring it out into the light. I don't think we paused enough to go, why am I so stressed right now? Why am I so tired right now? Why am I feeling so heavy right now? If I could go pin, because then everything seems to feel heavy, right? When in the reality, it might just be like one thing that's kind of weighing me down pinpointing that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, there's this whole idea when we think about being effective in our 
work in the world, there's this idea of time management. But they've actually done some studies around this. For most people, it's less about time management, more about energy management that drains us. It's not how much time we're spending on something. It's what we're actually doing. I think you're right. Like We need to be very careful about... Sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do. But if we're really getting drained, that's a sign that maybe we're not operating in the right direction or the right altitude. The strategy's off. Yeah. So I asked where you live, but I don't know. I then asked also, what is it that you do to provide value in the world? And I don't yeah. think we got into that. We <laughs> we skipped ahead. So I'm a yeah. men's coach and a leadership coach. I coach men around relationships. I lead rites of passage programs to help boys become men. And I coach leaders of companies. So I work mostly with men. And my real passion, though, is this work around rites of passage, helping boys make the transition into healthy manhood. And what made that important to you? Oh, man, I'll tell you, it actually goes back to my own story. If we go back in time, when I was a young guy, I was an actor. And I loved being an actor. I was on stage all the time doing a bunch of stuff, modeling and all the fun things. And then at some point when I was 19, that just wasn't the thing to do anymore. As you said, the energy just drained out of it. And I was not enjoying it. And I was in a period of just feeling really lost in my life and spent several years kind of out in the desert, just in the flatlands, not a lot of direction. And my dad invited me when I was 22 years old to a men's retreat. On this retreat, basically, I mean, just to cut to the end of this story, I went in a boy and I came out a man. And it was so clear to me. I was 22 years old. I was surrounded by 80 dudes who were like on fire with their life. You could like just this fierce presence in them. They knew all about what it meant to be a man that was both connected to his own power and was living with an open heart. And they were so curious about me and really took me under their wings and mentored me around these ways of living a life of passion and service to your community and living for something greater than yourself. And it profoundly changed my life. This is a rite of passage. Having an experience of getting snapped out of your everyday reality and shown a new way of being and being surrounded by mentors and elders that can initiate you into a new way of being. And in the old days, this happened. They would take the boys out of the village, out of the comfort of their mother's arms, snap them into the frigid cold of the Northlands or into the bush of Africa and hand them a spear and say, go kill a lion. Don't come back till either you're dead or the lion's dead. There's something about that. We've lost that in our kind of Western industrialized country. And there's something about that that I think is the very solution to where we find ourselves as a culture today of, of really having a path and some experiences for our boys to know what they're stepping into. What does it mean to be a good man in this world and to put them into some discomfort so they really can experience that in a deep way? Now, why? I know looking, you have an event coming up and I was taking a look at your father-son event. Why 10 to 14 versus, you know, your experience was at 22? Yeah, it's a great question. So those that have really looked at these developmental inflection points, there's two major ones after birth, essentially, right? And the first one is the passage from early childhood into adolescence, and that's 10 to 14. That is the time when the sense of belonging, being part of like a tribe or a band or a sports team, this sense of belonging is really important. But this is not actually the passage. The second one is the passage into adulthood, adolescence into adulthood. So there's kind of two inflection points. The first one, which is what I'm working on, it's very much also about establishing a connection to their parent, in this case, the boys with a really good, deep connection with their fathers or their father figures so that their father is someone they can turn to as those tumultuous teenage years take hold. It's also the time, I don't know about you, but for me personally, I had this idea for this program when my son was about nine or 10, I could feel him just starting to slip away, right? It's like my baby is starting to slip away, he's starting to like, I don't feel him in the same way. He's not as open with me. And that's normal and necessary and important. I just want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to have a nice, solid, deep bond with him. And so that's really what this experience is about. We do a lot of time in the woods with fathers and sons walking together and time around the fire. And it's kind of a, a community uh, retreat. The second rite of passage is the one into manhood. And that's from 17 to 20, sometimes 16 to 20, they'll say. And that's classically when the boys were, again, stripped out of the arms of their mothers and taken into the bush for some sort of hero's journey where they'd have to face some danger, either in the world or in their own heart and mind, and then come back an initiated man. 
they knew exactly what that meant. Now I know what it means to be a good man. And that comes a little later. So both are important. My work is focused primarily on the first inflection point, childhood into adolescence. Yeah, love it. Now, in this first inflection point, the childhood, what would you say are like two to five nuggets, things that you definitely try to hit on if a father's trying to think through, plan through doing something with their kid? Obviously, there's different events they could go to. But if they were to plan something, what are some of the things that you want the son and the father walking away with from an experience together? Yeah, great question. So the first thing is to take them out of the comforts of their everyday reality and go into something that's immersed in nature, ideally, because nature becomes its own character then, right? There's an opportunity for discomfort. There's an opportunity for wonderment and awe. There's an opportunity for a down regulation of the nervous system so you can get into some deeper states and have real conversations. So that's the first thing is get outside. The second thing is that it should have some element of what we call training. We call it training on the path of warriorship. So there's a physical component. We do some light martial arts, some yoga. The boys jump in cold water with their dads if they want to. It's like, you know, so we do cold exposure and it's about facing the things that we don't want to do and doing it anyway. The whole thing about that piece. So it should be hard at times. The third piece would be we do a lot around emotional awareness. So we really, and I think this is like a great offering that any father can bring to his son is helping him understand what it means to have one eye out in the world, navigating how I'm moving through the world and one eye into my own heart and my own mind. This is power. This is power. This is what it means to be a powerful man that I can track when I'm feeling angry or turned on or sad or afraid. And I know what that means and I know what to do with it. I know how to express it. And I also can read it in other people. So the way we define power is that I have the power to get stuff done in the world, but I also have the power to face my own heart and mind. And that allows me to be more influential in the world, essentially. And then the last piece is just very... Well, actually, I'd say two more pieces. One is we do a whole thing around consent, changing bodies, puberty, sex, so that the boys get some just practical information about that and have some conversations with their dads about that. We open up the possibility nice. for those conversations to happen. We bring in a sex educator who kind of works through that with them. And then the final component is ceremony and ritual. So on the last night, everybody's around a fire. And we do a ceremony where they get a gift and they're honored. And it's very clear to them, you're now on the path of of warriorhood. You're on the path of becoming a teenager or being a teenager. And it's, you were in early childhood. Now you're in the path to your adolescence. There's something about that demarcation that hits pretty deep in the human soul. We see this when the boys leave, there's a sense of feeling more settled in themselves, desire for more independence, feeling a bit more secure, feeling a bit more connected to themselves and ideally to their fathers. So those are some of the main ingredients, right? Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things I really love is one, obviously you're opening up this conversation now between a father and son. So the hope is that it's not an end all be all in that moment, but it's a realization of the relationship that can be because now we've opened up to be able to talk about harder things, deeper things, etc. The other thing is I really love your language around, we're not acknowledging that this morning you were a boy and now after this fire, you're a teenager, but you are on the path because I think sometimes when we have these like marker moments that are supposed to feel like a like a wedding's a great example. An hour ago, I wasn't married. Now I'm married. There's like a clear like this moment happened. Whereas these other moments of am I a man? Am I a teenager? Am, I mean, obviously, if I turn 12 to 13, like, okay, I'm a teenager based on my age. But I love the concept of path because it gives some freedom in there are going to be moments where I act like a kid, there are going to be moments where I act like a teenager, not one's right or wrong. It's just I'm on this path of becoming. So I love that. And then the other word you said, which I think is so powerful is that as men, we have influence in our world, positive or negative. If I'm sitting on my parents couch at 30 years old, doing nothing, like my influence, I'm missing the power of my influence in the world. Because nobody invited me in to show me my power. That power of one eye looking out, one eye looking in. 
and, and at the end of the day, that fulfillment as a man is that I made a mark on this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think it is taught this idea of personal power is something that can be cultivated and kind of harnessed. And part of it is, you know, it's power. It's not power over. It's not power over others. It's having the power to influence and make an impact, as you say, to push our purpose into the world. And of course, at 12, we don't know what our purpose is yet, but we can be connected to a sense of feeling alive in ourselves and being surrounded by people that really give us good advice. The other piece I'll say about power that we often talk about is there's a power in sensitivity. There's the assertive power out in the world, but there's also a power to really understand my influence on other people, how I'm impacting them with my words, my actions, my deeds, how I share my emotions. That actually, sensitivity is in olden times, maybe was seen as weakness, but we actually realize now sensitivity, being aware of what's happening in me and others actually makes me more effective in the world. So it's actually a superpower to be, you you might say, a sensitive man, not in the classic sense of weak, but in the sense of I am tracking how I'm showing up around other people. And that helps me get things done in the world. Yeah, I think the idea of either sensitivity or vulnerability, probably a bunch of other words we could use. But am I strong enough to open myself up to you? So there's this idea that men are supposed to not cry and be strong. But in many aspects, the strongest thing to do would be, I think the best example I could think of is like Jesus on the cross. Like he has all the power to do anything he wants based on what you believe about the story. So if he's on the, if he's God and he's on the cross, he has all the power to just make this all stop, whatever. But he leans into not doing that. And that's true power is knowing you have the ability to do something and doing what's best for the moment. Right. And that's being vulnerable and open because that's an inward look at who do I need to be in this situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, I mean, what a vivid example of that. I think that there's a difference between being sensitive and collapsing. There's a way in which we can still have our vulnerable feelings and lean into that as men, but still show up and do the hard thing anyway. I mean, agree. Yeah. One of the times this happened for me was, so my boy is really into racing and he was in a really important go-kart race and the car stalled out on the start and he was just crushed because he just Mm. had so much that he was so much of his identity and everything was wrapped up in that. And it was a mechanical issue. And he basically was really bummed out and was kind of crying when he got out of the car and was like, I need to leave right now. And I took him outside and I said, this is totally, you know, you're feeling exactly what you need to feel right now. And we're going to go back inside and we're going to cheer on your buddies who made it on the podium. Mm. He wanted to just go home. Right. And so I was with him. I was like, man, that's example. This sucks. I'm so sorry, man. This is like part of the deal. And it just hurts. I know how much this hurts for you. How, you know, you were qualified really high. You had all the chance in the world to win this race. And yeah, this happened and this is terrible. And we're going to go you don't even need to wipe tears out of your eyes. We're going to go back inside. We're going to cheer on your friends and then we're going to go home. It's like feeling it and then doing the thing anyway, rather than feeling it and collapsing. Uh, it's so powerful for us dads to hear that because in that moment, a lot of times we and or mom wants to, this sucks. It was not fair. It was not right. Yes, you're a victim, right? This happened. But You have a choice at this point to see yourself as a victim and like, this sucks. What a joke. You should have won. Let's go home and let's on the way, let's get an ice cream. And now the flip side too is wipe off those tears. Don't feel like that. We don't show up like this. Don't let anybody see you cry. We're going inside. Those are two kind of extremes Mm -hmm. to the moment at hand. But for you to go, hey, dude, this is a bummer. This did happen. But now what? Let's go Mm -hmm. win. This is how we show up. So I think Mm -hmm. the way that you had your kid show up in that moment is just like, oh man, life skills, big time right there. Yeah. Hard earned life skills, man. (laughs) Hard earned on both our parts. Yeah. But also like, I mean, in the big scheme of things, your goat cart dying out before the race, if you can operate in that manner and that think about when some really big things happen during your life. You know, you've cultivated a way that you show up to experiences. The meaning you place on an experience is going to just help you when those really, truly big things happen that make a lot of people spiral out. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's like back to this other point where I hope when things get hard, I'm positioning myself as the father to be one of the people that they can turn to. I don't need to be their everything. I won't be. They need other good adults in their life. But I'm hoping in moments like that, I'm establishing a connection with my son where he will feel comfortable to continue to turn to me when things continue to get more difficult and more intense as he heads through his teenage years. Yeah. You know what you did that I think is cultivating that is you didn't make the moment about you, Mm -hmm. right? You didn't make it about you. When we turn to being selfish and like, how does this make me look as a dad? Like, oh, I feel dumb. Like the dads are going to think I don't know how to fix my my go-kart, whatever, right? All the lies Mm -hmm. we can say to ourselves, you didn't make it about you. When we make it about us, our kids can feel that. And so we're not going to be safe for them to express themselves to. My friends, sorry for this quick interruption. However, somewhat sadly, I get more questions from dudes about fitness than I do about fatherhood. But what I found is that the fathers who start taking care of their fitness and nutrition end up finding fatherhood, marriage, work, and all other aspects of life come into a deeper clarity of purpose, enjoyment, and fulfillment. Now, I've partnered with Rise Up Kings to launch Ruck Fitness, a transformative program that is less focused on a six-pack in 90 days and more focused on you creating the habits, mindset, and lifestyle that will allow you to be a healthy asset to your family for decades. Come join me in a transformative journey to become the man you want to see in the mirror. Go check it out, www.rebellandcreate.com forward slash fitness. Now back to the show. Luke, I want to ask you a question. You got a 10 and a 12 year old. When did you embrace fatherhood? So there's the moment you hear you're going to be a dad and then you see your baby born and it's like, whoa, that's one of the most gnarly things ever. And then there's all these little things that happen and and now you have a 10 and 12 year old. What moment along that journey did you go, fatherhood matters so much. I'm all in on this. Hmm. Honestly, there were two moments that it's been like a journey of deepening for me. There wasn't a light switch for me, but the first one was, this is a little bit of a wacky story. I don't know that I've told this on a podcast before, but three years before my son was born, I was down in Peru in the Amazon doing an ayahuasca plant medicine journey, which is like a psychedelic where you go on a healing psychedelic journey. And basically this is a bit wacky, but just this big light thing just plopped down in front of me for the entire night. And it was just like looking at a million stars and it was talking to me and I'm talking back to it. And I realized it's my unborn son. My girlfriend at the time, who is Julian's mother, was on a plane coming to meet me in Peru the next day. And I just had this full on conversation with him, his spirit. And my message was, I am so happy to meet you. I am not ready for you yet. I will be ready for you soon. I feel you. I now feel super connected to you. And we have to wait. (laughs) That was the moment where I was like, oh, I am going to be a father. Like, I'm going to be a father. This is happening. Four years later, it happened. The second time was through the divorce, actually, where this really deepened for me when I realized being a full-time parent half the time required that I show up in all these areas in their life that I had not shown up for before. I make all their meals half the time. I help Uh, them work through social challenges and I help them bathe. All the stuff that their mother was doing, help them meet new friends and work through challenges with friends they have. And the stuff that I had not even realized I had outsourced, being around them 100% of the time for a week at a time every other week made me such a better father because I am so much more present in their lives. I can't check out with them because there's nobody else there. It was a bit of a surrender. I'm not going to say it was like this joyous process where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a father. It's more like this is my sadhana. This is my path. This life is to, if I can do this well, then I can feel good about the way that my life is happening. If I phone this in now and I'm half present with my kids in this way, that will eat at me all my days. That's when I really embraced fatherhood in a very deep way is when I've had to be everything to them half the time. Yeah. Okay. Luke, this is an enormous aha. And I think dad's listening right now. Think about this. 
Are you outsourcing some of your parenting right now? because you're married and you're justifying it that mom's taking care of this, that, or the other. So you're kind of cruising right now. I get it. I think a lot of men fall into this. How is the woman going to have the baby? She decides. How is the baby going to get fed? She decides. What kind of diapers are we going to use? She decides. When this whole thing happens, mom decides so much that I think sometimes dads just default to provider protector, which really just means work, just work and lock the door. And so it can happen that mom decides the preschool, mom decides kindergarten, mom decides, and before you know it, you could wake up and your kids 13, 14, 15, 16, and you actually didn't make any major decisions. I mean, I remember growing up, most of the time it was just, we asked our mom for everything, right? We didn't ask dad. And so my question is, dads, are you outsourcing? And if you are, even if you're married in your own home, if you are, two people or three people are greatly missing out. One, your kid's missing out from your perspective because the kid needs that masculine perspective. Two, you're missing out because that little human is half of you. They need you. There's going to be a fulfillment in that. And then damn sure mom's missing out too because she's carrying your freaking weight. Could be. Luke, you found yourself in this situation where you are all those things for half the time. What a beautiful part of your story to get to share with other men to not miss the opportunity to make the breakfast, to connect with them in all those ways that a lot of times mom may be the one doing that. Yeah, my experience around it is just that it feels like there's more breadth in my relationship. There's a wider spectrum in my relationship with my children. I understand them in a deeper way. It's required a lot more curiosity and patience and examination around their world and what's important to them and what they're going through than I had before. I really have had to do a lot more listening and poking around at what's happening in their universe. What kind of foods do they like? Who are their friends? You know, Mm. like really get in there deep so that I can support them in the best way I can. I love that. So with that, what have you learned about yourself and being a father? Man, there is this gap between the father that I dreamed I would be and the father I actually am. And the gap is, it's always there. And I'm always trying to close it. I think part of the experience of being a parent is (laughs) not to be too kind of like, I don't know, dark about it or negative. But I do think there's a very common experience about for most of us that want to do it well, where we have an ideal about how we think we'll show up, and then how we actually show up. What I've learned about fatherhood is to really pay attention to the moments when I feel that tension of me not showing up in the way that I dreamed that I would. And that that actually is a reflection of my own internal landscape and my own capacity and my own ability to go deep and my own ability to just be more grounded and strong. And when I turn away from that discomfort and I just kind of let things go, there's this subtle way that it eats at you. And so for me, I have to be doing my daily practices. I have to, for me, that means like I'm meditating every morning. For me, it's doing some yoga. I have to be walking alone in the woods three or four times a week for half an hour, an hour. If I don't do that, I can't show up in the way that I need to show up. And that gap just kind of eats away at me. Yeah. This past year, I read Dan Sullivan's book, The Gap and the Gain. And that Mm -hmm. helped me so much learning to celebrate the wins because it's so easy to look at the faults or not even the faults, but the who I know I could be or that I'm working towards or moving towards. And if I compare myself to Ned 10 years ago, I mean, leaps and bounds, but I've also had a hundred conversations with a bunch of Lukes. So I'm like, oh, and this, and this, and this. So this ideal version of what it means to be a dad is like this ever growing never attainable guy. (laughs) So I got to celebrate the wins, which got to do regularly. Now, let me ask this because I, you know, I'm leaning more into creating some quiet time for myself. What is it that happens during meditation or quiet time that is helpful for you in, let's say, work mode, dad mode? Because I know it's not just I just need to do nothing. I mean, nothing's happening, but something's happening. So if you were to explain that to somebody, what would you say it is? And then what's a way that somebody could start and kind of get into that, whether it's like a meditation app or something like that? What's a useful tool? Yeah. I mean, for me, I've been meditating for 20 plus years and it's a daily practice for me. So it's changed over time. But if I think back about when I first started, there's something about First of all, being able to see my life more clearly when I have a settled mind. The mind is constantly producing thoughts and feelings and anxieties. And 
it oftentimes can run the show. So if I can take 20, 30, 45 minutes a day and just be in some practices that still the mind and allow there to be a sense of openness and spaciousness, I see all sorts of opportunities and possibilities. And I see the truth of my life and my kids' lives and my work and my clients, the men that I support. I see things more clearly. And there's a thing about it's kind of the Viktor Frankl thing. When we've slowed down enough that there's a gap that can build between a stimulus and a response. The difference between reactivity, something happens and I immediately react out of habit. A thought comes up, a feeling comes up, um, my behavior just kicks in. I don't even think about it. With meditation, we begin to like wedge a gap between something happening and rather than my reaction, my response. So I can then choose in a moment whether I act out of anger or act out of habit I can make a choice to show up a little differently. And with meditation, for me, that's really it. I mean, one way to say it is I meditate, so I'm not such an a-hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the simpler way of putting it. <laughs> I like um, it. There's a ton of great apps. I like Calm. One of the best meditations for people to start with is something called box breathing. Just hop on YouTube and search box breathing. It's a counted breath. Put your hand on your belly and it, you're essentially just training the mind by focusing on the breath. And it's like any other training, like going to the gym. At first, it's a little hard. And then after a week or two, you start to see some results. And then after a month, you're like, oh, this is actually really changing the way I think. And after six months, you're a different human. But a good place to start is box breathing, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, I really like, I haven't been using it lately, but Sam Harris's waking up app, the dude's voice too. I just freaking love it. It's a great one. One question I have for you. Okay, so if I'm meditating, I just want to ask your thoughts on this. You said seeing the truth in my life or something like that, because our mind could be going so much. Just the other night, we're having a conversation with one of our daughters and she's feeling some heavy feelings and whatnot. And so me and my wife had a great 45 minute conversation with her and we're like, hey, we know when you get into bed, some of these thoughts are going to come up like, oh, my parents actually don't care about this. They were just appeasing me. So you got to pause and then go, hang on, what's true? We shut off a movie. All the other kids left the room. I mean, there's some facts around what's true. And we spent the 45 minutes, we were listening, we were engaged, we weren't on our phones. There's all these little facts that make it true. So two parts of this. When you think about the truth of your life, it's looking at the facts, but then it's also putting the meaning on it. Like I get to choose to say, hey, my dad wasn't on the phone while we were talking. Like he didn't, for 45 minutes, he didn't check his phone. And man, he loves me. Or I could say, my dad was just sitting there not checking his phone, probably wanted to, and I wasted his time. How much of when you're settling your mind, are you also choosing the meaning, which I think we choose the meaning to most of our experiences? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And Sam Harris actually does some stuff around this. Partly what you're pointing to is some of the practices around positivity psychology. I don't know that meditation alone is the is the path that will solve the problem you're pointing to, which is yep. in humans, we have this thing called the negativity bias. And it's an evolutionary mechanism that allows us to survive. We are such highly social creatures that we're constantly scanning for threat in our relationships, in the world. There's research that they've said like nine out of 10 thoughts are negative thoughts. They're about like doomsday, what mm. could be happening. This is what has kept us alive as a species. Got it. And so there's something we have to overcome in that. And meditation helps us slow down our thoughts so that we're not, to your point, like immediately jumping to meaning making it slows it down enough where we don't have to believe every thought that crossed our mind. That's where it's helpful. But I think there's actually some deeper work that's on the mental level. Then there's the emotional level. And when we have unresolved feelings and resentments that are hung up in our body mind, that leads to us making assumptions and turning towards negative thoughts and feelings. And often that means there's something unresolved in us that needs to expressing and feeling. When I work with people that are kind of in a depressed state or stuck in negative loops, of course, I'm going to teach the meditation, but I'm also going to do more emotional-based work around exploring what is the source of this negativity? What is unresolved from your past? What are you hanging on to here that's unfelt, that needs to be felt or expressed? And for me, that's actually a more effective way of shifting negativity. The meditation definitely won't hurt, but there's this whole concept of like spiritual bypassing, where if we just like meditate enough, we will never feel anger or resentment and negativity. And it's just not true. It's not true. It helps, but it's not a magic bullet in that way. 
Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Love it. All right, a couple of questions for you. In your opinion, what is the role of the father? Hmm, I love this question. I think you've heard a little bit from me, like we can kind of make it what is needed in the moment. And for me, it's like sometimes I'm fathering and mothering. But if I lean into the masculine part of my parenting, there is obviously the safety and security piece, the providership piece, the setting my kids up for leaving a mark in the world. But the more interesting thing for me about being a father, my role is to snap them out of their everyday myopic self-centered reality is Mm. to take them and pull them out and show them different parts of the world, new ways of thinking, new ways of being, show them art and culture and nature and take them into edgy, uncomfortable situations so that they're learning something new about themselves. And for me, that is it. It's the adventure that I provide them, blowing their minds as often as I can exposing them to new ways of being so that they're a more well-rounded human and not just stuck in their ruts. I think that's part of what fatherhood can be. There's this idea that the mother, this guy that I work with, John Weinland, he talks about this, like the mother's role. And of course, this is all changing right around roles. But in the traditional sense, the mother's role is about cultivating the connection to the self in the child. And the father's role is about cultivating the connection to the world. And fundamentally, that there's something about that that really feels right for me. Yeah, interesting, because also the father seems to really affirm their identity, but maybe that is their identity out in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, how do yeah. I show up in the world as me, comfortable in my skin? So yeah, okay, I dig it. Now, you said creating some uncomfortable situations. What's an example of a way you could create or put your kids into like an adventure position at 10 and 12 years old? Yeah. Well, the big thing is, like I said, when I ask my son, what's the one thing you need from me this year so that you feel like you're getting what you need from me and you feel connected to me? And his answer several years in a row has been, I need a backpacking trip with you in the summer. I need a week off the grid. It's just you and me in the middle of the wild. Not everybody's going to have that same desire, but I think he's pointing to something that is that getting your kids and getting them out in nature and away from phones so you can have those deeper conversations, really look each other in the eyes and let nature do its thing around nourishment and awe and wonderment, even if it's just simply car camping, but that we're dropping the devices and we're getting back to our connection to the magic and the wonderment and the awe of this grand planet, looking at the stars at night, that kind of stuff, I think really is impactful. And when I bring this up with men, often they'll say, oh, that's actually the thing I remember the most about my father is like, he would always take us on these camping trips, or he'd take us to these beautiful parks, right? It's you're instilling memories. And it's not just taking the photo of the beautiful spot. There's something about the presence of our parents in those moments is deeply satisfying and nourishing for our youngins. Love it. So this next question about the the role of the father, and if you can look in the future a little bit, I'd like men to start thinking more about one day I most likely will be a grandfather. And the work I do today is going to impact that man down the road. What type of grandfather do you want to be? Hmm. <laughs> Great question. I had this vision in my mind for many years that I'm like sitting under a tree on a chair, maybe enjoying some fruit and The kids come to me to be seen in a deeper way. They come to be recognized and honored and celebrated and that I see something in them that maybe nobody else sees or I see it in a way where it really helps them understand who they are and where they come from. And I see the best in them and see what's possible. And then I evoke the best version of themselves through my presence and my reflection to them. That's who I want to be. Man, okay, check it out. So as you paint the picture for me, you said that they want to be seen by you. And for you to be able to do that, you are not so focused inwardly on yourself. And I think that there's this freaking concept of I put my 40 years in, I'm going to retire at 65 and I'm going to be a selfish son of a bitch now and golf and do what I want and don't bring the grandkids over and this is annoying. My game's on, shut those kids up, blah, blah, blah. Like there's this 40 years of building to this entitlement moment of now I'm supposed to be able to enjoy the work that I did, which is just a bunch of horse shit. And I hope that everyone listening feels that I feel that way. Because if I'm at 65 plus or whatever, you find freedom from having to work to hopefully getting to do things that you want to 
do. Hopefully you're doing that now. To be in such a place to sit under a tree, enjoying some fruit, and to see those that are in your care. Because that's what we want. We want to belong. We want to be seen. We want to be known. And so I love what you said, because I want us men right now to not be thinking about golfing whenever we want. Golf if you want to golf, whatever. But to be thinking about the impact we can have as a grandfather. You're still a father. It's just in a different sense. So what comes up for you when I share my somewhat passionate view? (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love it. I, I share it, man. And the thing that comes to mind, actually, is there's this idea that there's so much burden on men in the masculine. We are in a constant state of weight on our shoulders to provide, to protect that weight that I think we all can feel that our families need us. There's mouths to feed. There's people that need us. And if we let that burden eat away at us, I think that's what you get. The other version that you described, which is, don't bother me. Get off my lawn. I'm going to play golf. I'm not available. That is a man that has never dealt with the burden of being a man. He is not Mm. doing the things that you and I are describing, which is like, this is why I walk in the forest several times a week by Mm -hmm. myself with no one around for 30 to 60 minutes so that I relieve myself of that burden. I put myself in a place where it's a space of no demand, where no one needs anything from me for some period of time. I am not available. If you call my phone, you're not going to get me. It allows me to metabolize and let go of that burden that for most men builds up over decades to the point where they can't actually appreciate the presence of their grandchildren or their loved Oof. ones or their partner. Yeah. When we are so full of burden, it corrodes at our very ability to receive and give love. Man, I think that's the best example of the walk in the forest meditation that I've ever heard is to go release that burden. And now the reason why is to create space of no demand. And if I can create that space of no demand, then I'm not just going to carry it and be this bitter old man. What a missed opportunity, man, because you did all that work to now have all this knowledge, time and space if you live through it. So like, did you live through it or did you just carry the weight and bitch and complain? Uh, dude, this is freaking gold. Okay. Second to last question. The mantra behind my fatherhood field notes podcast is rebel and create. And as men, we're warriors. We've used that terminology in this podcast, but we're also creators. So what's something that you are rebelling against? And what do you hope to create out of that rebellion? Yeah, I'm rebelling against a culture of disconnection and isolation. It has to end. The screen addicted, the lack of depth in our relationships, it is eroding the very essence of our communities. And I am creating a culture of reintroducing healthy masculinity through rites of passage and initiation so that we have true masculine leadership in our lives and in our culture that is enabling deep connection and deep community. Mm. Connection and community, so critical, so important. All right, my friend, this has been incredible. Last question is a legacy question. Imagine 30 years from now. So 30 years from now, you are going to be the father to a 40-year-old and a 42-year-old. Okay, they're going to be very similar to where you're sitting at right now in your timeline of life. If you were to peer into the homes of your children, what is it that you would hope to see being played out, which would put a big old fat smile on your face, knowing I showed up, I showed Mm. up and I passed on some of me to them? Yeah, I love it. I have this picture of just like a radical, freely expressed humans that are like unapologetic in who they are tons of art around their homes and just a sense of warmth and connection. And their hearts are free to really feel beauty and wonderment and awe and love that their loved ones, they feel that they're able to be in some really deep, meaningful exchange with them and that they're doing good work in the world. They're leaders. I think (laughs) it's so clear. Our world needs good heart-centered leaders right now. And so that they're making contributions and leaving their own impact in whatever way that is through their art or business or whatever it happens to be. But I just see a lot of colors in that. There's a vibrant, they're sucking the marrow out of life. They're tasting all the fruits. Man, the one thing that you said was just simple, but that you see art on the wall. 
I love that because they're taking the time to enjoy what some would call the little things, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's so easy to make work and these have tos and these shoulds is important to where taking a piece of art, something that I choose to pause and enjoy and taking the hammer and the nail or whatever and getting it on the wall and pausing and enjoying it. A lot of us are missing that. We're missing the sunsets. We're missing the sunrise and we're missing it because we're so busy, 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 busy. And so just that one word, the sentence statement, I want to see art hung up. It means that one, an apologetic, I like this. I have this art on my wall right now. You might not like it. This means something to me. I like it. When I look at it, it reminds me of so much. And if I pause enough and look at this, this piece that my friend painted for me, it does something for me. And so I just think that those little statements we make are great to sit on because there's so much depth just to what you meant in that. So any last thoughts, my friend, before we head back out into the world? No, I just, I love what you're up to. Thanks for having me on the show. If folks are interested in the Rites of Passage program, they can get that over at fathersonconnection.com. That's again for the 10 to 14 year olds and their dads. So you can find me there. You can find me on Instagram. I have my own podcast, Crazy Wisdom. We cover some of these similar topics, but mostly just thanks for having me on. Yeah, love it. Okay. So podcast, we'll have that in the show notes, the rites of passage in the show notes. You have an event coming up in 2024. You have a few, I believe. And Mm -hmm. um, yep. Dude, thank you for your time. Thank you for the man you are. Thank you for continuing to show up every day. And I appreciate you sharing your life with me. Thank you. Until next time. What an incredible conversation. I so enjoyed connecting with Luke. I love the way that the conversation flowed. I really loved the idea of not outsourcing your parenting. I mean, this came from a situation that Luke is in of being full-time parent, everything for half the time. But what a beautiful aha for you and I to get the experience asking ourselves the question, is there areas I'm outsourcing because maybe my spouse and I are operating this together? The other thing I really just want to bring up is the grandfather. Am I moving towards thinking about the influence, there though goes that word again, influence that I have, the potential of having when I am a grandfather versus a selfish that could potentially come because I haven't unloaded my burdens at this season of life where there just may be a lot that you're carrying. Now, my friends, we must know who we are. The world would look and feel different if men showed up in their identity to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect. Now, this is why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. Check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. I've launched three online courses, one intro to fatherhood for new dads. If you're a dad with a five-year-old or a 15-year-old and you're struggling with how to show up, sign up. You can just take the course on your own, but that's Discover Fatherhood. Once you make it through one of those two courses, which is about 30 days, then there is a 90-day in intentional fatherhood course. Next one is starting pretty soon. And that is called the 18 year roadmap. Now, if you are enjoying this podcast, please take a minute, write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you to you dads out there listening to fatherhood field notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Thank you.